Well, this week I'm at Hume Lake, California, giving a couple apologetic sessions to the high school students here on the problem of evil and on relativism and its impact on the Christian world view. But this week we have a special episode for you. I had a chance recently to sit down and have an interview with Pastor Nick Bogardis of Cross of Christ Church in Costa Mesa, California. And we discussed the history of Roe versus Wade, my background and experience in the pro-life movement, and debunked nine common pro-choice arguments and myths. And so we have that special episode interview for you today, initially shared at Cross of Christ Church podcast, and now brought over to Unaborted for you. So without any further ado, enjoy this episode five special edition interview with Pastor Nick Bogardis of Cross of Christ Church, Orange County. Seth, thanks so much for uh, talking with us this afternoon, man. It's good to have you. Thank you, Nick. Why don't we, uh, why don't we kind of start and uh, with helping people get to know you a little bit, and if you wouldn't mind just telling us where you grew up and kind of when you met Jesus and came to faith. I grew up here in Southern California, yep. a little city called Whittier. Oh, okay. Not, not so little anymore, but yeah. just a stone's throw from Biola University. Mm-hmm. I was homeschooled through junior high. And then I went to Whittier High School, which right. is my father's alma mater. What was the plan there? Well, I was, I always really wanted to participate in athletics. Got it. Um, part, particularly competitively. Yeah. And so that, I, I really wanted to go to high school. I wanted to have a larger social network of friends. Cool. And so, but homeschooling was great for me. I think yeah. it's a wonderful choice, especially now, given the culture, which we're going to talk about more right now. Yeah. But that's, yeah, that's where I grew up. And uh, I met Jesus as a child. My both my parents are Christians. Mm-hmm. I was raised in the church, mm-hmm. and so I prayed the sinner's prayer as a kid. I don't even remember it. <laughs> you know, my mm-hmm. parents just told me when I did, yeah. and so it's just. How old were you? I think I was six. Okay. Yeah. So okay. it's one of those things you don't really remember. Yeah. You know, you're just raised in the church. Yeah. And so it's just been a process of growing in grace and learning what the gospel really means and choosing that for myself at one point, of course, yeah, rather than just my parents' faith. But Cool. And what about um, this issue of abortion? I mean, something that you are, you're absolutely passionate about. We're going to spend a good amount of time talking about it uh, today. Uh, I'm, if you could just share with people, why is it something that you are um, passionate about? Why not other issues, immigration, homelessness, things like that? Why is this issue something that you are giving yourself to? Right yeah, now? that's a good question. Uh, abortion is the greatest human rights violation in human history. That's how I'm going to explain Full it. Full stop right there. Okay. Yes. <laughs> and okay. I, I think that the church needs to begin explaining the issue of abortion like that. And, and we don't do that to denigrate other issues, right? There are a lot of important issues facing yeah. the church, facing society, many, many of which are gross violations of human rights mm-hmm. and human dignity. And as Christians, we are going to care about all issues that impact the dignity, mm-hmm. intrinsic worth, and lives of human beings. I mean, mm-hmm. we, we, we just are going to do that. Mm-hmm. So giving a larger emphasis to one issue you know, doesn't insinuate that you don't care about other issues. Oh, but abortion has taken the lives of more human beings than any other injustice sure. in human history. And so when we talk about abortion in comparison with other issues. So you mentioned homelessness, immigration, things yeah. like this. Yeah. One of the points I, I want to make and that I've made plenty of times with people when, when I'm asked this question is that abortion is a moral evil. Homelessness, so poverty, mm-hmm. these would be physical evils. Now, maybe their root is a moral evil, mm-hmm. right? But, but you're not going to tell someone, as, particularly if it's a friend who just, you know, hit dire straits and ended up on the street that, you know... You, you're committing a moral sin by being homeless. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not going to tell someone that. So homelessness mm-hmm. isn't a moral evil. Mm-hmm. It's a physical evil. And so we seek to alleviate homelessness. Yeah. But abortion is a moral evil. Abortion kills a human being. Mm-hmm. So if our country decided to legalize the rounding up of homeless people mm-hmm. and slaughtering them, mm-hmm. I would be just as passionate about ending the legal state-sanctioned murder of homeless people sure. as I am about the legal state-sanctioned murder of unborn children. Okay, well, so no, we're, get, we're getting ahead. So, <laughs> but, but why do you care about it? Like, why is this something that you, I mean, 
Because the way you articulate it there, I would think that totally. if it was a, it's a numbers game, there's more people killed by abortion than there are homeless, so I'm going for abortion. But I'm guessing it's deeper than that. Yeah. Right? Okay. So totally. So why? there's. So I always answer that question two different ways, right? Okay. Um, one of the ways I answer that is um, why why wouldn't I care the most about this issue? Because babies are the most defenseless, and Abortion has taken more lives of humans than any other issue. Mm-hmm. So, you know, again, again, I mean, we're all called to certain things. So that's sort of the second answer is right. why have it? Why has it become my particular calling and focus mm-hmm. over and against other things? Yeah. So my senior year of high school, I did my senior project on abortion, uh-huh. and I chose to do that because I realized that I didn't have the tools of thought I needed to engage my pro-choice non-Christian friends on my cross-country team mm-hmm. in high school, um, and and offer them reasons as to why the pro-life position is the only reasonable position apart from just citing Bible verses to make my case, mm-hmm. right? Because if that's the only reason you're pro-life, why would a secular post-Christian society accept yeah. that premise, yeah. which is that the Bible has authority? If they reject that premise, why be pro-life, right? right. right. And so I engaged that issue. I did a research paper on it. I did a presentation at the end of the year, and I had to do volunteer hours at a pro-life organization out of any any organization that's associated with your topic. Mm-hmm. And the first thing that this organization had me do as an intern was to scan 200 plus images of first trimester aborted babies and categorize them in their database. So for two six-hour shifts, I'm staring at reproductive health care. Mm-hmm. I'm staring at women's rights. I'm staring at the results of abortion, mm-hmm. the victims of abortion. Mm-hmm. And the direction of my life fundamentally changed at that point. Yeah, I mean, I guess that would be a powerful um, <laughs> way to uh, help someone come to grips with the issue. I mean, and we've gonna... seen the use of graphic imagery used historically, yeah, to prick the collective conscience of a culture uh-huh. on a certain injustice. It removes euphemism. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. That's what you just. Yeah, said. yeah. It's easy to say reproductive health care mm-hmm. and women's rights and abortion is health care. But until you look at what that quote-unquote healthcare looks like, then the whole narrative changes. You did that while you were at your high school? I was a senior in high school. And you went to a pro-life group or clinic or sorry, Yeah, it's a pro-life organization, organization. here in okay, Orange cool. County. Yeah. And your teacher was good with that? So that's the interesting part of the story, Nick, okay, is that yeah. my English teacher, who was functionally my senior project advisor, yeah. and all seniors had to do this project mm-hmm. to graduate, he told me, well, that's great, Seth, that you want to select the topic of abortion, but I'm, you know, I'm sorry to tell you that the senior project guidelines dictate certain topics that can't be selected, and one of those is abortion. Mm-hmm. And I essentially said, well, you know what, unless the school wants a lawsuit on their hands, and seriously, that's yeah, what yeah, I said, yeah, then, yeah. Then, then they're going to let me do this. I, yeah. I'm like, who are you kidding? This is a public high school. I'm pretty sure I just got out of government class, which I'm required to take yeah. to graduate. And I'm pretty sure we just read the Constitution. Uh-huh. Maybe you should go reread the First Amendment. Uh-huh. So the school backed off immediately, and I went ahead and did my... What were the other issues that couldn't be discussed? Uh, if I remember correctly, it was abortion, Satanism, and maybe something else. I mean, I guess we're going to put two on the table. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Jeez. Okay. All right. Well, um, then why don't we just jump on in, man? Let's, let's start talking about uh, abortion. Um, so th- I wanted to kind of start with a little bit of uh, some context or history for um, those who are listening, primarily those who um, go to Cross Christ or who are in churches in Orange County where you and I both live, um, because our place has a reputation as a like a red island in a blue state, it has a long history of conservatism, and it has a long history of Christian movements coming out of here. Um, what's important for listeners who live here to know about the history of the abortion conversation in Orange County? Right, yeah. Yeah, that's a good question. Well, Orange County is in California, mm-hmm. and California is one of the most pro-abortion states in the country. Mm-hmm. And our new governor is arguably the most pro-abortion governor in California's history. Mm-hmm. So we're not going anywhere good mm-hmm. as it pertains to human dignity and value, particularly mm-hmm. of the unborn. And so that impacts us as well. But as a, as a county, I mean, we all know the, you know, the jokes that are made about Orange County. You know, it's sort of this haven. It's this like perfect Stepford Wives mm-hmm. sort of community. Yeah. And of course, that's not true of every city. But, you know, there's that there's that sort of narrative of Orange County and and. 
and then people make good money here and it's easy to to get caught up in the rat race and keeping up with the joneses and mm-hmm. wanting everything to be perfect in your life mm-hmm. and this is a human tendency for everyone i just think it's probably more amplified in certain areas of the country right and so that's certainly a reality here where you know we want to we don't want to think about things that are this uncomfortable yeah. and sadly christians have disengaged on on injustices you know Historically, all the time. I yeah. mean, the church was largely silent during slavery and the Holocaust, and now yeah. we're sleeping through the abortion Holocaust. Yeah. So there's a tendency to just disengage. But Orange County has not been sort of a, a hotbed for pro-life activism um, or pro-choice activism, really. Um, maybe just until a little bit more recently, you do have a lot more churches waking up mm-hmm. to the reality of abortion, mm-hmm. given the cultural moment that we find ourselves on the issue of abortion yeah. and uh, pro-life organizations and wealthy Christians who are giving generously to mm-hmm. pregnancy care clinics and pro-life organizations mm-hmm. because their conscience has been pricked in a way it hasn't before. So, I mean, we're seeing a, a wave in the pro-life movement rising higher than it's been before. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the, Orange County tends to be a little safe haven where we, we don't want to think about those issues. Yeah. I mean, it, it was interesting when I was preparing to talk with you. I was thinking, like, I grew up in, in churches in Orange County, and it was always a conversation that was happening out there. Like, if if anyone brought it up, it was safely um, discussed in private conversations um, with people who agreed with you generally, generally. Um, but for, in a place with such deep roots of conservative politics and um, Christian movements, it, it was interesting to think, like, I don't think I have seen anything really publicly loud or... Um, momentous in any way in in this place, which is interesting. Yeah. So I, my, I was thinking it would be tempting for someone who's listening to this, who lives here to go, well, I can skip this because that's for someone else in San Francisco or that's for someone else in Dallas. But there's a reason maybe if you live here that it hasn't, you haven't come face to face with it. And it might be because of the place where you live. So don't tune out, listen, because it's important. Right. right. And don't tune out because it's here too. Yeah, you know we have abortion clinics. We have Planned Parenthoods here in Orange County, mm-hmm. and they're killing babies. Mm-hmm. So, um, what do people need to know about Roe v. Wade and the constitutionality of abortion? Roe v. Wade is the worst case to ever come from the Supreme Court. Okay, why? And Obergefell was was horrible, but Roe v. Wade was probably one of the worstly argued cases in American history because the court didn't even attempt to answer the question. Ready? Mm-hmm. When does life begin? Sounds like a pretty important question to ask if Mm -hmm. you're going to kill the thing in the womb, whatever Mm -hmm. that thing is. Mm -hmm. Well, when does life begin? And Justice Blackmun, the chief justice on the Supreme Court in 1973, didn't even attempt to answer that question. And he went on to say, and I'm paraphrasing, Mm -hmm. when theologians, scientists, and psychologists can't come to agreement as to when life begins, it is beyond the duty of this court to try to answer that question. Mm -hmm. Yet we've known according to the science of embryology, when life begins. We've known this for decades. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, if, if life doesn't begin at conception, when does it begin? Mm-hmm. And so we've known this for years. And yet the court said, we're not even going to try to answer that question. Why? Well, because people disagree. Yeah, people used to disagree on slavery. That didn't mean that we didn't know what was right and wrong. Mm-hmm. So the most fundamental question that would need to be answered in the first place in order for any meaningful dialogue on the issue of abortion to make sense, wasn't even answered. And they just said, well, people don't agree. So who are we to, 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 to say what the objective reality is of life in the womb? So they're not going to define that, then they were left with the choice of restriction or um, giving rights to do Right, it. well, Roe right? v. Wade, uh, since we're talking about it, yeah, yeah. Roe v. Wade legalized abortion through all nine months of pregnancy for any reason or no reason at all. Okay. A lot of people don't know this. Now, mm-hmm. there can be state restrictions right. on abortion, and you know mm-hmm. we're going to talk about some of the movement yep. in the pro-life movement right now, yep. but um, the national case coming down from the Supreme Court mm-hmm. legalized abortion till the day of birth, okay? Mm-hmm. Now, we're horrified when states like New York you know, codify Roe v. Wade for their own state. Mm -hmm. And yet you've got, you know, you've got states like Ohio, Missouri, Alabama, Georgia, who are passing very pro-life legislation. Mm -hmm. But some of those may end up being challenged and not being successful Mm -hmm. if the courts dictate that it creates an undue burden for a woman to obtain an abortion, meaning it's it's anti-Roe v. Wade, which is now viewed as constitutional. Now, talking about the constitutionality of Roe v. Wade, 
if you're going to talk about that, you have to start with where the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence begin, okay. which is the right to life, liberty, mm-hmm. and the pursuit of happiness. And the mm-hmm. Constitution is supposed to protect, government is supposed to protect right, the right to life, liberty, and property. Mm-hmm. And so you don't have any of those other rights if you are dead. Mm-hmm. That's why the right to life, that's why they put the life first. That mm-hmm. first right is the most important right, right. to maintain. Right. And so it all goes back to the question, well, then what is the unborn? Who is the unborn? We have to answer that question if we're going to determine whether they have a right to life or not. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, abortion is not a constitutional right. There's no constitutional right to pay someone else to rip the limbs off of your child, mm-hmm. <laughs> be that be, whether that child is in the womb or outside the womb. There's no constitutional right to do that. Mm-hmm. And so that's why it's not constitutional because it didn't even answer the ultimate question that would need to be answered in the first place. Which is, what is life? Which is, what is the unborn? What is the unborn? Um, okay. So they permitted it federally, but they allow states to put individual restrictions on it. That's right. And lots of people will say, well, come on, Nick. Abortion is not legal through all nine months. This never happens. And this is what the Democratic Party has been saying a lot recently, mm-hmm. is that, oh, the Republicans are just creating this hype around mm-hmm. infanticide and third trimester abortions. That never happens. Mm-hmm. Well, it does happen. Third trimester abortions are a very low percentage, but... A, a small percentage on a million is, guess what, still a big number. Yeah, yeah. We're killing a million babies a year in the United States of America. Yeah. So call it 4%. Mm-hmm. That's still a very large number of babies that are being killed in the third yeah. trimester, right? Yeah. So what happened was there there was a case that came right after Roe v. Wade called Doe versus Bolton. Mm-hmm. And these cases together dictate abortion laws in the country. What's Doe Bolton? So Doe versus Bolton... Um, furthered the conversation on abortion rights in regards to the health of the mother. So Roe v. Wade legalized abortion, but it said that there were restrictions on abortion in the third trimester, the mm-hmm. final three months. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. Yep. They said unless refraining from getting an abortion in the third trimester endangered the life or health of the mother. Mm-hmm. And so Doe versus Bolton went on to define what they meant by the word health. Because we're all pro-lifers agree, Nick, that abortion should be allowed to save the life of the mother. Mm-hmm. If the mother's gonna die without getting the abortion. Though usually we don't even define it as an abortion because abortion is the intentional killing mm-hmm. of the unborn child. And mm-hmm. if you're saving the life of the mother, then you're intentionally saving the life of the mother. Mm-hmm. And the death of the baby is a foreseen but unintended consequence. Mm-hmm. But Doe versus Bolton went on to define what health meant. So not only are we going to allow abortion in the third trimester to save the life of the mother, we're also going to do it if it's impacting her health. And they defined health to include anything relating to the woman's emotional health, Mm -hmm. physical health, Mm -hmm. financial health, Mm -hmm. and familial health. Mm -hmm. So functionally, Mm -hmm. you can define health however you want. Mm -hmm in order to justify a third trimester abortion. And because abortion is a money-making business, what abortionist is going to say, I don't accept your definition of health? Mm -hmm. No, they're going to go, you're right. This is definitely impacting your family health at home, your Mm -hmm. emotional health, your financial health. Mm -hmm. Here's a third trimester abortion Mm -hmm. because they can make money off of killing babies. So that's that's the state of the law in our country. And um, if if pro-life legislation is quote-unquote too extreme, for the Supreme Court mm-hmm. or for state Supreme Courts, mm-hmm. then they can challenge that as being basically anti-Roe v. Wade. Yeah, I think, I mean, this is a, a whole other topic altogether, but that that line of thinking has been taken by pro-life advocates um, to help people see that when you draw that out, um, beginning of life issues end up coming into play at end of life issues. And um, if the general vague definition of health, if an inability to define what is truly life um, continue to kind of be at the center of what we're talking about, um, end of life issues are going to be um, really unpleasant for people. I mean, there was there was a story um, this week about a, a gal in Denmark, 17 years old. Um, she was That's raped, right. she had PTSD, and she was allowed to be killed by her doctors um, because she wanted um, to be her suicide to be assisted because she was having, um, she couldn't handle the, the mental suffering from the event. That's right. And that, that's a grievous issue, and it's a horrible circumstance, and, um, and your heart absolutely breaks for her and is enraged at, her, at the perpetrator. But 
if that's allowed, that kind of um, assisted suicide, the next step after that is, well, um, what's economically viable for our society? And someone, you know, a board has to be convened. Someone gets the power to decide what what life is worthy of living. That's right. And then it becomes not voluntary. That's the ultimate question in regards to any issue that impacts life is who gets to decide who lives and who dies and who gets to define what life is and what human value is. Mm -hmm. And if human life is merely subjective Mm -hmm. and is decided upon a whim of emotion by those in power, then we're all in trouble. And the same worldviews behind abortion. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Lewis actually um, talked about that back in the '60s. You know, I mean, he he made that same argument. Like once you once you hand over um, your, he didn't say it like right to life, but once you hand over the steering wheel to the to governments or to professionals uh, to make those kind of decisions for a society absent of any kind of transcendent authority or design or moral law or whatever else like it just becomes um the tyranny of the professional that's right what they deem is worthy of life okay so that was a, sorry that was more of a, a side topic but it's important. um so what's the um what's the crux of this issue it's is it rights like the right of the unborn like you've mentioned the right of the woman like the pro-choice would say is what's the crux of the yeah the crux of the issue is human equality okay human rights who gets to decide who lives and who dies, mm-hmm. who has value, who doesn't, and how do you define human value? Mm-hmm. That's, the, that's the crux of the debate. And so if we as American citizens mm-hmm. believe in the right to life, that every human being has a right to life, which anyone on the left or anyone in the pro-choice movement is going to tell you they believe. Mm-hmm. They're just going to define the unborn as a non-life right. yeah. or as a human but not a person. And again, you're getting into more philosophical terms and we can talk about that in a little bit. Mm-hmm. But they're just going to say, okay, it's, it's, a, it's a human in that it's a member of the species Homo sapiens, but it's not a person. And only persons have rights under the law. Yeah. So they're just going to define those people out of existence in order to justify their extermination. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, everyone believes in the right to life of human beings. So... Mm-hmm. What is the unborn? Mm -hmm. Are they a human being or not? Mm -hmm. Greg Kokel, a Christian apologist and author, uses this thought experiment. He says, I want you to imagine for a second, Nick, that you're standing at your kitchen sink doing dishes one evening. And for whatever reason, you live in Orange County and God hasn't smiled on you with the dishwasher. So you're doing your dishes by hand. Mm -hmm. And as you're standing there doing your dishes, your three-year-old toddler walks up behind you. Now your back is turned. And your three-year-old toddler asks you the question, Daddy... Can I kill this? Now, what's going to be the first question out of your mouth? What is it? Exactly. Because you don't know what he's holding. So if you turn around and he's holding a cockroach, you might say, you know, here, son, here's a hammer. Don't tell mom. Mm -hmm. But if he's holding the neighbor kitty, Mm -hmm. you might have a different reply. Unless I hate cats. Exactly. (laughs) And if you're a vindictive (laughs) cat hater, I understand. No judgment. But if he's holding his little sister by the throat. Yeah. You need counseling. Yeah. So you can't answer the question, can we kill this, until you answer the question, what is what it? Is it? Mm-hmm. So we cannot answer the question, can we kill the unborn, whatever the unborn are, mm-hmm. until you answer the question, what is the unborn? Mm-hmm. And we have a clear answer to that question. But that is the crux of the debate. Mm-hmm. Okay. So um, right now, as we speak, in the beginning of June 2019, uh, the issue is front and center again in multiple states. You already named them. So Ohio, Mississippi, Missouri, Missouri, uh, Alabama, Alabama, Georgia. Okay. So there's four There's four states that are passing legislation to outlaw or strictly limit abortion. Is that correct? Maybe yeah, there's more than four, but there are, there are a handful of states who are either attempting to ban abortion except for the life of the mother or essentially pass heartbeat bills, yep. which would ban abortion after there's a detectable heartbeat at around six weeks. Yeah. So um, I don't think things like this happen by coincidence. What's happening right now? Yeah, there's been a lot of um, wonderful progress in the pro-life movement Uh over the last six months in particular. And I think it's really coming to a head right now this summer. And and you know what? We have the current administration, administration to thank for that. Now, you know, we're not here to get Um, political where it's not necessary. Mm -hmm. Um, You and I both believe that the only solution to the 
problem of sin is the gospel of Jesus Christ and the person of Jesus Christ. But again, we are called to seek the good of the city where we find ourselves. We're called to promote righteousness insofar as we can and not disengage from culture. And so politics are important. And unfortunately, a lot of moral issues have become politicized for political purposes, but yeah. they are not in and of themselves political issues. Mm -hmm. And of course, the biggest example of that is the issue of abortion. It's not a political issue. We mm -hmm. know that. It's a moral issue. It's a mm -hmm. spiritual issue. Mm -hmm. um, and so so to talk about politics, because this is, this is involved in the pro-life movement, I mean, mm -hmm. think about it this way. If it's legal to kill a whole class of human beings, What's wrong with using politics to try to make it illegal to kill a whole class of human beings? Yeah. Nothing. And the only reason I point that out is I know you and I are in agreement, but there's a lot, there's this sense in the larger Christian community of like, uh, you know, we need to be about the gospel. We need to be about Jesus and creating this sort of false dichotomy yeah. of like disengaging from politics for that reason. Mm -hmm. But what if, what if, what if it was legal to kill black people and enslave them again? Mm -hmm. I think every Christian would go, uh, we should all try to make it illegal mm -hmm. to kill black people. <laughs> and how do you do that politics? And so we do have the current administration to thank for this massive wave of pro-life legislation and progress within the pro-life movement. And I just want to point out a few of the things that um, our president has um, initiated or signed or put into law since he became president. And these are the things that are Help behind has, these oh, four This has helped a ton states. of the pro-life legislation, absolutely. Okay. And part of the reason of that is because pro-life legislators in various states throughout the country yeah. are seeing that the current administration is on their side mm -hmm. when it comes to life. Mm -hmm. So it's easy under, for example, an Obama presidency mm -hmm. to not even want to pass some certain very brave pro-life legislation because mm -hmm. you know it's not going to go anywhere, mm -hmm. right? So, so if anything, the current administration has helped encourage pro-life individuals and legislators to go for it, man. Pass that bill. Yeah. Go for it. But who's, co who's coordinating all this stuff? The pro-life movement, okay. the pro-life legislators, okay. the president, the vice yeah. president, the current administration. So I just want, I'll just roll off a few things here because sure. a lot of people don't understand exactly how pro-life President Trump has been. Okay. He, he is the most pro-life president in American history. Love him or hate him, he's more pro-life than Reagan was or Bush was. He's done far more for unborn children and the pro-life movement than any president in American history. So here's a few things. Yeah. He's appointed almost exclusively pro-life judges. Mm -hmm. He's permitted states to defund Planned Parenthood of Title X funds, which is awesome. And that's something Obama did not allow states to do. Yep. He said, no, you have to fund Planned Parenthood. Mm -hmm. He stopped tax dollar funding abortions overseas, which is mm -hmm. awesome. He defunded the very pro-abortion group United Nations Population Fund, which thinks that it's, you know, basically if we have an overpopulation problem, you know, just kill the babies. Mm -hmm. He's required health insurance companies to disclose if their plans cover abortions. He's um, exempted private employers and educational institutions from providing abortifacient contraceptives. Mm -hmm. um, so colleges so can't provide medication that you would take right. to kill your baby in the first trimester. Right. Morning after pill. Yeah, that that's right. Um, he created a new office for conscience protections. So in other words, you can't force healthcare professionals yeah. to participate in abortion if they don't want to. Mm -hmm. He's allowed states to defund Planned Parenthood of Medicaid funds and recently cut about $60 million of tax funding from Planned Parenthood. Okay. So that's a lot of great things. And so what that's done is that's created a lot of excitement and hype mm -hmm. within the pro-life movement mm -hmm. and with individual state legislatures. Mm -hmm. Uh, legislators to know that, hey, man, this this uh, administration's on our side mm -hmm. and we can just go for it and we're going to have a far better chance of keeping this legislation as law in our state than we would have ever had under an Obama or Hillary presidency. But what's the... Uh, okay, so if I'm hearing you right, Trump has done a, a lot of things behind the scenes that um, have encouraged the pro-life movement. The pro-life movement looks out and goes, well, now's our chance. So they move and they create legislation at the state level. Is the intent then that they would get a hearing at the Supreme Court to then overturn Roe v. Wade? Yeah, the intent is to challenge Roe. Okay, and there, there is discussions and debate amongst pro-life leaders as to whether this is the right time. Uh -huh. Some people say, we need to be more strategic. This isn't the right time. Yeah. We can't be confident that Trump's two appointees to the Supreme Court will be fully on our side. Mm -hmm. And there's others who say, it doesn't matter. 
it doesn't matter. The pro-life movement's never going away anyways. Yeah. Even if this fails, we're never going away. Yeah. So we just have to do the best that we can with the cards we've been dealt. And yeah. because this is the best cards that the pro-life movement has ever been dealt, yeah. play, hard, play hard. Go yeah. for it. You know. So, yeah. um, and I think I'm more probably in that camp. Because the pro-life movement isn't, isn't going anywhere. You <laughs> yeah, know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. No, that's good. That's helpful. Because as I started seeing this, this, uh, these events unfold, I'm like, oh, yeah. okay, something's... So that, that's, foot, that's part know. of the political aspect that right. is helping drive this in very positive directions. Right. But of course, there's other contributing factors. I mean, ultrasonography yep. and the science yep. of us seeing the baby in the womb, understanding yep. prenatal development, yep. and then platforms like Fox and other big mm -hmm. um, thought leaders in the conservative movement taking yep. the issue on in a way that they haven't before. Yep. The movie Unplanned that came out recently that put a brutal face to abortion. So there's been a lot of contributing factors. The guy from Irvine who did the undercover investigations. David in Daladine yeah, yeah, Center yeah. for Medical Progress. Yep. Yeah, there's just been a lot that's happened in the last five years yep, yep, yep. with d exposing Planned Parenthood of, of selling dead baby body parts on the black market, live action, and all the work they've done to show that multiple Planned Parenthood locations, not a fluke, not one location, multiple yeah. locations participate in the cover-up and protection of sex traffickers, sex yeah. workers, pimps who are bringing underage girls in for abortions, wow. saying things like, don't tell me his age, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. So there's just so much that's happened that's really drove the pro-life movement to a head. Mm -hmm. And then when you throw into that mm -hmm. the current administration being so pro-life, mm -hmm. it's really created the perfect storm for the mm -hmm. pro-life movement tell you what, um, who's that uh conservative commentator that's lila rose i think lila rose she's yeah. the president of live action there you go okay so she mentioned that they were trying to advertise on twitter uh for live action and twitter denied them yep. is that right okay because why because they're pro-life okay because they believe you shouldn't rip the arms off of unborn children okay and and, and, and you know there's almost everyone in tech twitter google facebook are all incredibly pro-abortion mm -hmm. And now, you know, there's been a lot of pressure from people like Hillary Clinton recently saying that these these platforms, these social media platforms need to censor this type of speech. So in just one second, Pastor Nick and I are going to examine nine common pro-choice arguments, and I'm going to carefully debunk each of them and show you the dangerous worldview assumptions behind these arguments. But first, if you enjoy this show, then consider becoming a patron of the show. We want to increase this show's production value, bring on more guests, have more episodes each week, and provide a one-stop shop for pro-life individuals like yourself to receive encouragement, training, equipping, and a bit of humor so you can go back out and be a voice for the unborn children in our midst and you can be a confident voice in a culture of death that wants to victimize and end the lives of the most defenseless members of our human society so if this show has been helpful for you and you want to have more people hear this show or you want to hear more from unaborted then head on over to patreon.com unaborted and become a patron of the show we'll be right back All right, so the, the first one is it's not a baby. It's a fetus or a lump of tissue until it's viable. You know, even so, Al Mohler on his show this morning, I think. Daily Briefing. At the Daily Briefing talked about an NPR memo that was sent out by um, someone who's responsible for instructing the show hosts of how to discuss the news. And they're saying, like, we don't call these heartbeat bills because they're not heartbeat bills because um, you can hear a heartbeat before it's a viable person or something like that. Like it was instructing them to articulate it in a way that was favorable to a, a, a pro-choice position. So that seems to also kind of back up this line of thinking from right. pro-choice, right? It's not a baby. It's a fetus or a lump of tissue until it's viable. Right. What, what would you say to that? Totally. And the way that we're going to answer all of these questions and arguments, Nick, mm -hmm. yeah. is by just explaining what the pro-life position is. Yep. So I'm going to give you the pro-life position the argument for human equality in a minute or less. Okay. Here it is. According to the science of embryology, pro-life advocates argue that from the earliest stages of development, meaning the moment of conception, mm -hmm. the unborn child is a distinct living and whole human being. Mm -hmm. Distinct because it's a separate human being. It's not part of mm -hmm. his or her mother's body. If babies were part of their mother's bodies, then when women were pregnant with boys, pregnant women would have penises. Mm -hmm. But they're not part of their mother's body. Yeah. They're distinct. They're living because dead things don't grow and they direct their own internal growth from within. Have their own DNA. That's right. And they're yeah. whole. When we say an unborn child is whole, we don't mean fully developed. We don't mean capable of laughing at your joke. We mean that everything the child needs to realize their full growth and development is already present at the moment of conception. Cool. Just like me as a 27-year-old have everything I need 
to realize my full growth and development as a 30 year old, mm-hmm. but I'm not 30 yet. Mm-hmm. Right? Men don't reach their mental peak until their 40s, which is very good news for our wives, by the way. Mm-hmm. But so we're still developing, but we have everything we need in our human system to realize our development as a 45 year old, mm-hmm. but we're not 45 yet, right? So right. that's the science of embryology. Yeah. That answers the question, what is the unborn? Okay. Philosophically, we answer the question of value. Does the unborn child have equal value? Mm-hmm. Philosophically, pro-life advocates argue that there is no meaningful difference between the embryonic human being that you once were mm-hmm. and the adult that you are today mm-hmm. that would justify killing you at that earlier stage. Mm-hmm. In other words, there's no meaningful difference between you, the embryo, and you, the adult, that makes it okay to kill you, the embryo. Yeah. The only differences between you, the embryo, and you, the adult, are size, level of development, environment, and dependency. Mm-hmm. And none of those reasons justify taking your life at that earlier stage in your mother's womb Mm -hmm. because all born people differ according to the same categories i'm larger than you because i'm taller Mm -hmm. size Mm -hmm. level of development i'm less developed than you because i'm younger Mm -hmm. location or environment we're located in different environments right now we're in different chairs Mm -hmm. and dependency some born people are dependent on heart pacemakers insulin kidney machines or life support Mm -hmm. they're dependent on something without which they cannot continue to live Mm -hmm. just like the unborn Mm -hmm. So the only differences between the unborn child and the born child can't be used to justify killing the unborn. Mm -hmm. So that's the basic pro-life argument from science and from philosophy. Mm -hmm. So we're going to use that to answer all these questions. So when someone tells you it's not a baby, it's a fetus, guess what? Fetus is a term to describe a human being at a certain level of development. Fetus. Like adolescent. Yeah, embryo. infant. Or zygote, embryo, fetus. Ready? Mm -hmm. Infant. Mm -hmm. Toddler. <laughs> Toddler, yeah. right? Yeah. So these are just all terms we use to describe human beings at a certain level of development. So okay. people say, don't use fetus, it's dehumanizing. Some people say that in the pro-life movement, and mm-hmm. I get it, right? It's mm-hmm. easier to maybe treat them as a non-human. Yeah. But technically speaking, speaking, the word fetus just describes a human being at their level of development. Okay. Now, when you talk about viability, yeah. the unborn child's ability to survive outside the womb apart from the mother, mm-hmm. that's such a ridiculous, specious argument mm-hmm. because, again— If we're going to use that standard to dictate who lives and who dies, Mm -hmm. then we run into the moral problem of born people who are not viable. Mm -hmm. Now, we're all not viable when we're sleeping. Mm -hmm. We're not conscious. You're certainly not viable if you're on life support. Mm -hmm. But pro-choicers don't argue that you can step into a hospital room and slit a stranger's throat Mm -hmm. as long as he's in a coma Mm -hmm. and on life support. So viability is a bad standard for human value. But also, what do you mean by viability? Because my two, you know, when my kids were two, yeah, infants aren't viable either. Of course. So, so using that at all is morally problematic Mm because you know you run into plenty of circumstances with born people who are technically not viable. But furthermore, Mm -hmm. medical advancements have enabled us to make babies viable earlier and earlier and earlier, Mm -hmm. meaning that we can we can cause them to live independently of the mother outside the womb and be viable because of medical technology. Mm -hmm. So then the question for pro-choice individuals is, are you telling me that if a mother is pregnant in New York City in the mid-second trimester, Mm -hmm. her baby is viable Mm -hmm. because if the baby was born, it could survive outside the womb because of the medical technology in New York. Mm -hmm. But if she took a vacation with her husband to the slums of Africa that that same baby at that same stage of development would not have value Mm -hmm. and be able to be killed because it wouldn't be viable simply because it didn't have access to medical technology to make it viable. What a a strange view of human value and human equality. Mm -hmm. So those are some of the moral problems you run into Mm -hmm. when you begin to say it's not a baby and it doesn't have value until it's viable. Cool. Now, secondly, uh, women should be able to choose what they want to do with their bodies, like my body, my choice. Right. It's not your body. One thing you'll never hear is our bodies, my choice. Look, I'm pregnant. Look, look at my baby. It's our bodies, mm-hmm. but it's my choice to kill it. Mm-hmm. The pro-choice movement is very careful in the language that they use mm-hmm. to explain their position because they know the leaders in the pro-choice movement, people at Planned Parenthood, they know it's a baby. So they're going to use terms like reproductive health care, her body, her body, her choice Mm -hmm. to create the illusion that there isn't only that there's only one body involved. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to go back to what I already said. The science of embryology tells us that from the moment of conception, there is a distinct. So not part of her body, distinct Mm -hmm. living and whole human being. Mm -hmm. The transitive law says that if A is part of B and B is part of C, then A is part of C. So if an unborn boy's penis is part of his body Mm -hmm. 
and the baby is part of the mother's body, then the baby's penis is part of the mother's body. Mm -hmm. So I guess all pregnant women who are pregnant with boys have penises. What a strange world. Mm -hmm. But we know that's, that's not true. Mm -hmm. And so because that's not true, the conclusion is that unborn children are not part of their mother's body. If they're not part of their mother's body, then it's not her body, her choice. Mm -hmm. There's two bodies. Mm -hmm. Furthermore, we don't actually believe that women can do whatever they want with their own bodies. We don't believe that. We don't believe that with men either. Mm -hmm. I can swing my fist around as much as I want, but as soon as it impacts your cheek, we have a problem, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I can't streak across Irvine's spectrum. I will get in trouble. I will get arrested. You can't drive drunk. Here are some examples of humans not being able to do whatever they want with their own bodies. Mm -hmm. And so if the action in question is an action that dismembers the limbs of a baby, mm -hmm that ends in that baby's death, mm -hmm. then that's not a choice that we should be protecting. Cool. Thirdly, the right to abortion enables women to live to their full potential in their careers and lives. It's a gender equality issue. Wow. Think about that, that statement for a second. Think about that argument because we hear this a lot, right? Abortion needs to be maintained mm -hmm. for women's equality so that they can be as successful in the workplace, so that it doesn't prevent them from going to the the college of their choice and mm -hmm. leaving with the type of social capital that males have to mm -hmm. make them successful in the business world. Mm -hmm. I mean, just, just think about that argument for a second. If we know that the baby is a baby mm -hmm. and that that baby's life began at the moment of conception mm -hmm. and that human value is not dependent on that baby's connection to the mother, but that baby is intrinsically valuable in and of itself, mm -hmm. then this argument is saying that I can kill my child if it will make me more successful. One of the things the pro-life movement points out is that every argument for abortion would be rejected at face value by pro-choicers if it was applied to killing toddlers. So imagine for a second, a woman said, I need to pay a physician to slowly rip the limbs off of my two-year-old until that baby, until my toddler bleeds out and dies because I need to graduate from Harvard and I need to be a successful lawyer. Who would accept that justification mm -hmm. in order to advance your career? Nobody. But because the being being killed happens to find themselves in the womb, we go, yeah, go for it. Your mm -hmm. body, your choice. Mm -hmm. So it all comes back to the question, what is the unborn? And the science is very clear. That's a human being. I think my concern with that line of thinking also are the – you know, the host of other uh, values that are associated with it, that like the the ultimate ends in life are to um, have a successful career, make a lot of money, have certain vacations or a certain lifestyle or whatever else um, that places the weight of existence on performance. That's right. Um, and not on, I, I would argue, relationship. Um, and I, I want more for women than that. Like I want more for, for my wife than that, my, my little girls. Like, to, to, right. For me, as their husband or father, to be like, you know what, the best thing you can do with your life is to just accomplish a lot career-wise. Like, what a what a hollow goal for me to hand right. to them, and then to like enforce um, through right. whatever the media. Well, and we shouldn't be surprised that those who champion the killing of children have a low view of family. Yeah. Well, that that was kind of the other part of it that I would add to it. Like my other concern in that line of thinking is like. As pro, as someone who's pro-life, I, I would also say, if we're going to talk about gender equality, then we would also say that the men need to take responsibility for impregnating a woman and right. like and to help helping to take care of it. And, and if we're going and, to talk about gender equality, we have to say that women's rights begin in the womb. Yeah, that's true. So I I have a, a saying of mine that I'm going to turn into a lecture this next year mm -hmm. at some of my university lectures, and that is, you've never met a pro-choice feminist. Why? You've never met a pro-choice feminist. Why? Because what is the most fundamental feminist statement you could ever make? The most fundamental feminist statement you could ever make. Women are equal to men. That's right. Yeah. Equal in dignity, in value, in worth. I mean, if you if you don't believe that, if you don't believe that women are intrinsically valuable in and of themselves, mm -hmm. then you can't build any of the other feminist building blocks on that foundation. Mm -hmm. It's only by believing that women are intrinsically valuable in and of themselves and are equal to men that you can build all the other feminist building blocks mm -hmm. on that foundation. Some of those being bad, some of those being good, of course, yeah. depending on what wave of feminism you were talking about. So if that is the most fundamental claim of feminism and pro-choice individuals say you should be able to slaughter unborn women in the womb because hashtag women's rights, you've just cut off the branch you're standing on, mm -hmm. which was, I thought, 
women are intrinsically valuable. So how can you espouse a view that calls for the murder of unborn women in the womb if they prevent their mother from living the type of life they want to live? So the only feminist, the only true feminist you've ever met are pro-life. Turn that into a lecture. Um, so fourthly, um, aborted children would have grown up in challenging circumstances and had difficult lives. Um, the example I, I pulled out for this was uh, Jamila Jamil, the actress from um, I saw The this. Good Place. Um, and she tweeted uh, that I had an abortion when I was young and it was the best decision I ever made, both for me and for the baby I didn't want and wasn't ready for emotionally, psychologically, and financially. So many children will end up in foster homes. So many lives ruined. So very cruel, she tweeted. Um, so I'm curious, what would a pro-lifer respond to that one? That aborted children would have grown up in challenging circumstances and had difficult lives. So we should abort them. Yeah, my gosh, my goodness. Think about that statement for a second. Not only is are the individuals making the statement playing God, but they, they're also creating their own subjective version of human value. Yep. So you've got a couple problems going here. But imagine, think about that statement for a second. Because I predict that your future as my child will suck so much, I'm going to kill you now because that's compassionate in order to spare you not a for sure future, because mm. I'm not God, but mm. but a possible future that would be miserable. Mm. My goodness, think about that statement. Mm. Imagine telling a toddler, imagine a mother saying, my husband left me, I'm barely cutting, I'm barely getting by, I'm barely paying the bills for me and my three-year-old. Mm. Um, we're, it looks like we may get evicted. So in order to spare my toddler a really difficult, painful future on the streets... I'm going to inject him with a poison that kills him. I mean, who, what? Who would say that that's compassionate? But this argument from the pro-choice movement, Nick, is used as a compassionate argument. Everything about the pro-choice movement is an upside-down kingdom. It, it, they get it exactly opposite. They get it exactly wrong. We would say compassion Compassion entails making sacrifices mm -hmm. on behalf of others, particularly our family, mm -hmm. and to sacrificially and lavishly love not only those in our family, but the victims in society who need our help. Mm -hmm. And so then the pro-choice movement goes, no, what's compassionate is paying a physician to kill your unborn child because what if that baby had a difficult future? Mm -hmm. I mean, my goodness, what an mm -hmm. upside-down reality, an upside-down kingdom. Mm -hmm. And then when you talk about babies are diagnosed with Down syndrome, right, or fetal deformities, this argument comes into play too because they say their life is going to be so miserable. And over 90% of babies aborted, um, diagnosed with Down syndrome are aborted in the United States of America. Yeah. And this is the justification that's yeah. used to do that. And yet we know that Down syndrome adults report some of the highest levels of happiness. And so the pro-choice movement has completely twisted and flipped the definition of compassion to mean something entirely demonic. Yeah. It's um, also just having so many friends that um, have struggled with infertility who have adopted or who are waiting to adopt or have fostered um, and seeing the the absolute uh, mountains they have to climb to make that happen. Um, and But there is a, just an unbelievable willingness, especially in the Christian community, to, to adopt those kids. Um seems to just throw that out the window. That's right. Like, um, so, all right, fifth, abortion should be available because of instances of rape and incense. And incest. Yeah, here's the juggernaut, right? This is the one that you hear the most. And this yeah. is the one that's going to be levied against pro-lifers the most is, hey, Nick, I thought you were pro-life. And yet you're saying that we need to force women who are raped mm -hmm. to bear the children that are conceived from that rape. You're disgusting. I thought you were pro-life. I mean, this, this is really the argument that is used the most to demonize pro-lifers and make them look like uncompassionate, right? Flipping the definition of compassion, moral monsters. But the whole question comes back to what is the unborn, right? 
what are human beings and where does human value come from? Does human value come from the circumstances of our conception or is it intrinsic to who we are as human beings? If it comes from the circumstances of our conception, rape being the most horrible circumstance to be conceived in, then sure, kill those babies if that's where human value comes from. But if it's intrinsic and objective and not up to us to decide who lives and who dies, then the circumstances of your conception don't dictate your value as a human being. And I just wrote an article on this on my blog on, on this rape objection um, that we can point people to as a further resource. But ultimately, the question becomes, does the unborn, should the unborn child have to suffer for the crimes of the father? If that baby is a baby, it's a human being, and it has intrinsic value in and of itself as an image bearer of God, then that baby has value regardless of how it came into the world. Mm-hmm. And so how many parties are involved, Nick, in a pregnancy that arises from rape? Three. Three. Nailed it. Mm-hmm. Right? The rapist, the mother, and the unborn child. Mm-hmm. We would never give the death penalty to the mother because she's innocent. Now, sadly, in some Muslim countries, they practice something called honor killings. Mm-hmm where they murder women who are raped because they view it as a shameful thing to have happened. But we would never do that, thank God. Why? Because she's an innocent victim. By the way, we're not even allowed to give the death penalty to the rapist in our country. Rapists do not get capital punishment. They get a handful of years in prison. Think about that. Mm-hmm. And so, so we can't give the death penalty to the rapist who's the only guilty one. Mm-hmm. We would never give the death penalty to the mother who's innocent. Why should we give the death penalty to the unborn child mm-hmm. who's just as innocent as his or her mother? Yeah. And it's, it, it is ironic that those who support abortion often refuse to advocate for the death penalty for rapists well, in who that, are guilty, but they advocate for the death penalty for unborn children. That's a good way to put it. I mean, at the end of the day, the, the, the bottom line view of the kid in that, in, in that situation is a consequence. Right. Yep. And let's have compassion for these women, right? And as communities and as churches, we need to rally around these women who have who have suffered sexual violence and rape. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine what that's like to go through. Mm -hmm. But murdering children because they might remind you of a painful event is not compassionate. It's barbarism, Mm -hmm. and it's wrong for the same reason that rape is wrong. Mm -hmm. It mistreats and injures an innocent human yeah. being. So rape and abortion end up being wrong for the same reason. Abortion just ends up in the murder of that innocent human being. Well, the next the next talking point flows out of that one, and you kind of just touched on it, which is that pro-life people don't care about the lives of the vulnerable outside the womb. The common you know, attack of, like, well, you only care about the unborn. You don't care about anything once, right. once they're born. Right. And my... my, my... My witty initial response is, yeah, and you don't care about the lives of children in the womb. <laughs> so you're accusing me of not caring for, about the lives of children outside the womb. You don't care about the lives of children in the womb. You advocate for their murder. <laughs> so let's just be clear here. Let's just be honest. But it's a completely unfounded accusation. And it's used as an ad hominem attack to attack the character, the character of pro-life individuals. Mm-hmm. Who has ever critiqued the American Cancer Society for only trying to solve cancer. You know that American Cancer Society, those folks over there, they suck. They're bigoted white males because they focus all of their resources on just trying to solve cancer. If they were really Mm anti-cancer and pro the life of born people, they Mm -hmm. would be trying to solve every other disease. Mm -hmm. They must not be anti-cancer. I mean, what a ridiculous thing to say, right? Mm -hmm. Isn't it okay that the American Cancer Society focuses all of their resources on trying to solve one issue because they can be more effective because they're only focusing on one thing? Isn't that okay? And we as a society, we we do believe that's okay. That's why we don't criticize invisible children, for example, for Mm -hmm. only trying to free and save the lives of these children who were forced to fight in these wars, right? This is why we we don't critique groups who try to rescue women from sex trafficking Mm -hmm. as you only care about women. Yeah, it's ridiculous. It's only people who say you can't murder children in the womb. It's only those of us who say that Mm -hmm. who get levied with the accusation that we only care about unborn children and nobody else. Mm -hmm. It's only the pro-life movement that gets that accusation. Mm -hmm. Think about that for a second. So it's a personal attack that's used strategically to try to demonize Mm pro-lifers. So that society will view them as only pro-birth, right? Mm -hmm. And once that baby's born, then we don't care about it. The reality is, Nick, is that there are more pregnancy care clinics in the United States of America than there are abortion clinics. They outnumber abortion clinics two to one. Some people say three to one. 
pregnancy care clinics being the organizations that provide all of their resources for free. They don't provide abortions. They don't refer for abortions, but they give you all of your choices. They give you all of the education you need to make an informed decision. <laughs> they give you free ultrasounds, diapers, clothes, parenting classes, counseling sessions. Oh, and by the way, all those resources are continued to be offered to parents after the baby's born. Mm -hmm. So much for the pro-birth lie. Mm -hmm. It's a completely unfounded accusation and it's a lie. Yeah. I mean, the two two things I'd say to that one are um, that, yeah, it is a, it is a very narrow um, argument without any kind of real context of, you know, if, if the attack is on largely uh, Christians who are pro-life, um, then it's missing the undeniable fact that through most of the course of, of history that Christians have done unbelievable work for That's the, right. the most vulnerable, poor, oppressed in, around the world throughout history. And you, so to levy, you can't levy that attack with any kind of real sincere validity. That's right. Um, and let me tell you too, Nick, as someone in the nonprofit <clears throat> world and someone who's been involved in this fight for almost a decade, <laughs> Almost everyone I know who supports pro-life organizations also mm -hmm. gives to other causes. Mm -hmm. yeah. Individual pro-lifers yeah. are often yeah. very yeah. generous to a plethora of other issues yeah. that are not related to abortion. So it's a completely unfounded yeah. accusation. But again, who's ever critiqued Martin Luther King Jr. for not trying to solve poverty? That bigot, yeah. that bigot, he only tried to stop, you know, he only tried to get civil rights for black people. He wasn't trying to solve homelessness. He wasn't trying to solve poverty. He wasn't trying to solve immigration. Yeah. Man, what a narrow-minded jerk. No, yeah. because we recognize that that was the biggest issue facing the day, facing those people. Mm -hmm. And that was, it was important to have a narrow-minded focus to solve one issue. Yeah. And pro-lifers hold the same position as it pertains to abortion. Well, in, with the argument of... Um the work of Christians around the globe throughout history in many different spheres. Um, even recently in the New York Times, uh, Nicholas Kristof, a really well-known op-ed columnist, certainly not a conservative, um, who goes to difficult places around the world. Um, he wrote that whenever he goes to one of these hard places, Sudan, uh, war zones, things like that, the Christians are there first. By the time he shows up to write about it, Christians are there serving already. And so anyway, that, that argument never never really holds up for me. But I think the, the second part of the argument that we do need to hear, that Christians need to hear, is that, yes, we, we do need to be in, as intentional with caring for um, the poor and the oppressed who are Christians do. Yeah. Christians do, totally. not the pro-life movement. The pro-life yeah. movement is vastly underfunded and vastly understaffed. Yeah. And if anything, we need more funding mm -hmm. and we need more staff. Mm -hmm. We don't need to be levied with the responsibility of fighting Caring sex trafficking on Monday, poverty on Tuesday, immigration on Wednesday, sex trafficking on Thursday, That's uh, equal pay on Friday and abortion on Saturday. Yeah. I mean, even in our, in our, you know, little church, um, there's the work we were doing. We, we meet at Continuation High School, and well, we partner with a nonprofit there. And we, uh, some of the gals in our church, help care for some of the teen moms. Got them, you know, baby bags and awesome, um, like you know, bags full of everything they need to be a mom. And like, we take them for rides to like come to school and like just try to do what we could to help them once the baby's born. Right. That's right. Like same thing with the, with the men. We had a, a crew of our men mentoring some of those young guys. We'd be like, how do you? How do you, what does it mean to be a man? How can you be a man of character? Try to do like, what awesome. we can to just strengthen those kind of right. in, individuals uh, right. in, in a, for lack of a better description, you, you probably hate the description of pro-life, but like, yes, a pro-life way. Like, not as narrow as embryo and womb, but for the whole of the person. Right, and the church yeah. and individual Christians yes. do care about all of these issues yes. that impact human beings, yep. but it's unfair to levy the pro-life movement with, the responsibility of cause, uh, solving every social ill. That, that's fair. Um, if we ban abortions, women will be harmed by illegal abortions. Yeah, I get this one a lot. So the argument goes like this. If we make abortion illegal, women are going to get them anyways. And so they're going to be forced, this is the language they use, forced into dangerous back alley abortion clinics. Yep. And they're going to die getting illegal abortions. How can you justify that pro-lifer? Mm -hmm. Right, that's the argument. Yeah. I'm going to pull the reasoning out of that argument and I'm going to I'm going to put it in verbal form and give it to you. Do it. And then we're going to see if that reasoning would be accepted in any other circumstance. Here it is. Here's the reasoning in that argument. Because some people die trying to kill others, the state should make it safe and legal for them to do so. So let's fill in the details, but I see that you're tracking with me. <laughs> because some people die, who are some people die? Uh, the moms. The mothers trying yeah. to kill others, who's others? The babies. 
the state should make it safe and legal for them to do so. What an atrocious argument when you pull the reasoning out of that. So here you go, Nick. So you know what? Well, you know what? There's been these two bank robbers, and they've been cruising around Orange County. They've robbed one bank in South Orange County, one bank in North Orange County, and now they're in Irvine, and they're trying to rob another bank. They're running out of the bank with piles of cash, and a law-abiding citizen with a concealed carry permit pulls out his handgun, shoots one of the bank robbers in the calf. His friend, who wasn't shot, leaves him, drives away, and the other bank robber's bleeding out. He might die. He's so seriously injured after committing a moral wrong and breaking the law trying to rob a bank. So here's the solution, okay? We need to legalize bank robbery in order to protect bank robbers. Mm-hmm. We, need, we need to, the state needs to make it safe and legal for bank robbers to rob banks because some of them are getting hurt or killed in the process of doing something immoral. Mm-hmm. That's the same reasoning. Mm-hmm. So if the unborn child is a distinct living and whole human being like you and I from the moment of conception, uh-huh. then just because women might have consequences for their own bodies trying to kill those children doesn't mean we should make it legal to do so. Mm-hmm. Marianne Warren, mm-hmm. she's a pro-choice philosopher who defends abortion. And in one of her articles years ago, she she admitted that this is a bad argument. She agreed with pro-lifers. She said that just because that there are consequences to making abortion illegal mm-hmm. doesn't mean that that it's that the consequences are wrong or that it's wrong to make it illegal. And then she said because killing people is wrong regardless of the consequences of forbidding it. Yeah. So she admits that that's a bad argument. Mm -hmm. Furthermore, this is a deeply Mm -hmm. sexist and anti-feminist argument. And I just wrote another article. Speaking of the the illegal abortion argument and the rape argument are the two articles I wrote in the last two or three weeks, both Mm -hmm. on my blog, dealing further at length with this. Mm -hmm. It's a very anti-woman argument. Because remember the language in the argument. Mm -hmm. When abortion is made illegal, women are going to be forced into dangerous back alley abortion clinics. They're just going to be forced. They're going to die trying to kill their children. Mm-hmm. What's the assumption there? The assumption is that women will have no other choice but to try to illegally kill their children. Mm-hmm. Really? I, I actually have a higher view of women, pro-choicer. Mm-hmm. I, I believe mo- I have a higher view of women than you do. Mm-hmm. I'm more of a feminist than you are. I believe that in a world where abortion is illegal and the social fabric begins to change regarding human dignity in the womb, mm-hmm. that most women will not choose to break the law in order to kill their child. Mm-hmm. But you think that what is... Feminist and pro-woman is to try to go around the law and pay someone illegally to kill that child, even if it ends up hurting her own body. Mm-hmm. That's deeply anti-woman and anti-feminist. That's a good one. Um, eight related abortions are safe, legal, and rare. Right. And, 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 and yet you're not hearing that anymore. And you're correct. This is what Bill Clinton ran on. Yeah, yeah. Right. Was abortions should be safe, legal, and rare. Mm-hmm. And here's the question the pro-life movement has been asking Bill Clinton ever since then. Why rare? Why rare? The whole pro-choice argument is that the baby is not a baby, is that it's not a person. It's part of the mother's body. It's a clump of tissue. And even if it is a human being technically, which, okay, I guess we have to admit because we know what the science says, it's not a person and only persons have rights. And so ultimately it's might over right. And the mother has the right to end the life of her child if she wants. That's what you've been telling the pro-life movement for 47 years come this January. So if that's your argument, why keep abortions rare? If the baby is not a baby, it's not a person, it has no intrinsic value or dignity whatsoever, Mm -hmm. then abortions are no different than clipping your fingernails. Mm -hmm. So if what you say about the baby in the womb is true, then I don't care how many abortions women get Mm -hmm. if your premise is right. Okay, so remove rare. Abortions are safe and legal. Well, yeah, they are safe and they are legal and and relatively safe for the mother. but women are still getting injured getting abortions. Now, it's far less than it was in the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, of course, because mm-hmm. of just advancements in how precise we can be when we kill a child. Mm-hmm. Um, women tend to not get any injury, sustained injury from that. But you see reports on pro-life news sites all the time of women getting, getting wheeled out um, by EMTs mm-hmm. because they're hemorrhaging. And the abortionist made a mistake. Now, of course, is CNN ever going to cover that? Is Planned Parenthood ever going to report that that happened? No, of course not. And if you've seen the movie Unplanned and all of the guests listening to this should go see it when it comes out on DVD because I don't think it's in theaters anymore. But um, it shows in the film that, that these clinics often refuse to call the ambulance and the EMTs when these women are bleeding because they, they because of the news that would be associated with mm-hmm. it and the bad PR for, the, for Planned Parenthood. So what do they do? 
oftentimes they try to they try to deal with it in the clinic. Mm-hmm. They try to just stop the bleeding and care for her there. Mm-hmm. But sometimes it becomes so bad that they're forced to call the ambulance. Mm-hmm. So you see this a lot of pro-life news sites, again, because you're only going to see it there. That's CNN's right. never going to report that. So, so abortion is dangerous for women because it's unnatural, right? It's unnatural. The, your cervix isn't supposed to dilate until you're ready to give birth. So what does abortion do? Particularly if it's later, if it's later term, mm-hmm. you have to forcibly dilate her cervix mm-hmm. and then you have to rip the arms off of her baby. Then you have to make sure that you have all the pieces of the baby left after you've ripped that human being limb from limb. You have to organize them on the table, make sure the mother doesn't see because then she'll freak out and tell everyone what Planned Parenthood does. Mm -hmm. But we have to make sure we have all the baby parts because if there's any left inside her uterus, then she could get an infection. Mm-hmm. Oh, weird. Well, why would you get an infection after killing your child? Yeah, because the baby's not supposed to be bleeding out in, the, in his or her mother's uterus. Mm-hmm. So they have to put all the baby parts together. So, of course, that's dangerous for the mother. Mm-hmm. So abortion is never safe for the mother uh, or often not safe for the mother. It's never safe for the child mm-hmm. because it's not safe to be murdered. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so it's never safe for the baby. It's often not safe for the mother. Mm-hmm. It is legal. But legality doesn't equal morality, just like slavery used to be legal, just like the Nazis were perfectly legal in what they were doing, killing Jews. So legality doesn't equal morality. But if the baby isn't a baby, why should abortions be rare in the first place? So the whole argument just implodes on itself. Cool. Well, last one. This is the uh, capstone to our conversation. (laughs) You're a white male, so you have no idea what it is to be a woman, be pregnant, be a single mother, be in whatever particular circumstance, so you shouldn't speak for them or make decisions for them. Right. So I tell my pro-choice friends right away, I guess you're in agreement that we should overturn Roe versus Wade immediately because there were nine men on the Supreme Court that went 7-2 determining a decision that impacted women's bodies. How dare they make a decision regarding women's bodies? How dare they? Those are men. And I think most of them were white. Oh, my goodness. So you see, Nick, the problem is not that white pro-life Christian men should shut up. Uh, I'm sorry. It's, it's not that. It's not just that we should shut up. It's it's that. Oh, if you, actually, if you're a pro-choice dude, you can talk. Mm-hmm. So the the accusation is only that those who are not ideologically conformed to the pro-choice position, they're the ones who should be silent. Mm-hmm. But if you're a dude and you champion abortion. The pro-choice movement welcomes you with open arms. Mm-hmm. They don't tell you that you don't have a right to speak because you're a guy and you don't have a uterus. Mm-hmm. Plus, I, now I think, I think guys can have uteruses, right? I mean, that's what I've been told, that, that gender is fluid and that a penis does not mean you're a male. Mm-hmm. So, the, I mean, of course, the whole worldview just implodes because mm-hmm. what if I just say, well, I'm pro-life, but I actually have a uterus. And the left told me that I could become a woman if I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. So now you have to accept my pro-life position because I have a uterus. So you could go that way with it. Or you could go with, well, actually, you only mean that pro-life men should shut up. You're perfectly fine with pro-choice men, namely the seven men on the Supreme Court who legalized Roe v. Wade. You're perfectly fine with them talking about abortion, right? Furthermore, why should men be silent when women choose to arrange the death of their children? What if instead we said, hey, you know, pro-choice women should be quiet um, about... Uh, the rape of little boys by men, because that's not a woman's issue. It's only the 40-year-old men who are raping the nine-year-old boys. That doesn't impact women. So I guess pro-choice women have no right to offer their opinion on the raping of little boys because it's it's a man and boys issue. I mean, mm-hmm. no, of course, because all human beings, regardless of their gender, ought to speak out against injustice mm-hmm. and gross violations that mistreat or kill mm-hmm. human beings. And so what is the unborn? If they are a human being like you and I, then abortion is the greatest human rights violation in human history. It's an indefensible act of violence that ends the life of a defenseless unborn human person. Mm-hmm. And that's something that nobody should stay silent about. Thanks for tuning in for today's episode of Unaborted. I hope you enjoyed Nick and I's conversation. If you liked this episode, if you liked this show, head on over to iTunes and give us a review. Give us five stars. It really helps. Subscribe if you haven't and head over to YouTube and subscribe there if you'd like to watch this show rather than just listen. If you want to engage with me further and learn more about what I do and get equipped on how you can defend your pro-life beliefs in this culture of death, then head on over to my website at sethgruber.com. S-E-T-H-G-R-U-B as in baby boy, E-R dot com. Subscribe to my newsletter and get more info on how you can be a voice for the unborn. Please tune back in next week for more great commentary and content from the front lines of the pro-life movement. Until next week, I'm Seth Gruber and this is Unaborted.